special edition of Nightlight in which I want to share with you some excerpts from a new audiobook that I've been recording over the past few weeks. It's the audiobook to The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. A soundbite with Nightlight. Nightlight. The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come. That's the full title. It was written by John Bunyan in 1678. It's a Christian allegory and regarded as one of the most significant works of English literature of all time. It's been translated into more than 200 languages, never been out of print, and it also has been cited as the first novel written in English. Well, I'd never actually read Pilgrim's Progress until I was asked to record it as an audiobook, so I've come to it fresh and... I've really enjoyed narrating it. Hope that you'll enjoy the three chapters out of the 30 that I'm going to share with you on this program. But before we set out with Christian on his epic journey, let's warm up with this from Michael Fogarty. Michael Fogarty with an inspired version of that Christian hymn, Wayfaring Stranger. It's Nightlight. What a delight. And on Nightlight today, I'm excited to share with you excerpts from a new audiobook that I've recorded of Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. This is a version that's a little easier to understand than the original. It's a bit like the difference between the King James and the new King James Bible. So, without further ado, Let's listen to the opening chapter. The City of Destruction As I walked 
through the wilderness of this world, I came upon a certain place where there was a den, and I laid down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing with his face turned away from his own house, with a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked, and saw him open the book, and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled, and not being able to contain himself any longer, he broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do? In this plight, therefore, he went home, and restrained himself as long as he could, so that his wife and children would not notice his great distress. But he could not be silent for long, because his trouble only increased. Therefore, at length, he spoke his mind to his wife and children, and thus he began to talk to them. "'Oh, my dear wife, and you, my dear children, I'm undone because of this burden which lies heavily upon me. Moreover, I'm certainly informed that this city of ours will be burned with fire from heaven. In that fearful catastrophe, both myself with you, my wife, and you, my sweet babes, will come to miserable ruin, unless some way of escape can be found, whereby we may be delivered. At this his family was greatly bewildered. Not that they believed what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that his mind had become deranged. Therefore, as it was drawing towards night, and hoping that sleep might settle his brains, with all haste they put him to bed. But the night was as troublesome to him as the day, and instead of sleeping he spent it in sighs and tears. When the morning came they inquired how he felt. He told them, Worse and worse! He then commenced to talk to them again, but they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his derangement by harsh and cruel conduct toward him. Sometimes they would deride him, sometimes they would chide him, and sometimes they would simply ignore him. Therefore he began to withdraw himself to his room to pray for and pity them, and also to comfort his own misery. He would also walk solitarily in the fields, sometimes reading and sometimes praying. And thus for several days he spent his time in this manner. Now I saw in my dream, while he was walking in the fields, that he was reading his book, as was his habit. Being greatly distressed in his mind as he read, he burst out, as he'd done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? I saw also that he looked this way and that way, as if he wanted to run. Yet he stood still, because as I perceived, he could not tell which way to go. I looked then, and saw a man named Evangelist coming towards him, who asked, "'Why are you crying out?' He answered, "'Sir, I realize by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment, and I find that I am not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. Then Evangelist said, "'Why are you not willing to die?' since this life is attended with so many troubles. The man answered, Because I fear that this burden upon my back will sink me lower than the grave, and I shall fall into hell. And, sir, if I am not fit to die, then I am sure that I am not fit to go to judgment, and from thence to execution. My thoughts about these things make me cry out. Then Evangelist said, If this is your condition— why do you stand still? He answered, Because I do not know where to go. Then Evangelist gave him a parchment scroll, on which was written, Flee from the wrath to come. The man, therefore reading it, looked very sincerely upon Evangelist and asked, Where must I flee? Then Evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, said, do you see yonder narrow gate? The man answered, No. Evangelist replied, Do you see yonder shining light? He said, I think I do. Then Evangelist said, Keep that light in your eye and go 
directly to it, and then you shall see the gate at which, when you knock, you shall be told what you must do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door before his wife and children, seeing him depart, began to shout after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on, crying, Life! Life! Eternal life! So he did not look behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. Well, that's the opening chapter of Pilgrim's Progress. In the original, Bunyan doesn't give chapter numbers, just the story title of the next adventure that Christian encounters on his journey from his hometown, the city of destruction, which is like this world, to the celestial city. And that, of course, is the world to come, heaven. It's nightlight. What a delight. I don't have time on this show to even summarize the whole story for you. This is just to whet your appetite to listen to the whole 30 chapters of the audiobook. We're going to break now for a song. Then we'll be back with one of the longest chapters in the middle of the book, where Christian, who's now been joined by a traveling companion called Faithful, find that the straight and narrow road that they're following to the celestial city takes them through the worldly town of Vanity Fair. Stay tuned. Every side 
that when Christian and Faithful had left the wilderness, they soon saw a town ahead of them named Vanity. At that town there is a fair called Vanity Fair, and it's kept open all the year long. It bears the name of Vanity Fair because the town where it is held is lighter than Vanity, and also because all that is sold there is Vanity. As is the saying of the wise, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This fair is no newly erected business, but a thing of ancient standing. I will show you its origin. Almost five thousand years ago, there were pilgrims journeying to the celestial city just as these two honest people. Beelzebub, Apollyon and Legion, along with their companions, perceived by the path which the pilgrims made that their way to the city lay through this town of vanity. They therefore contrived to set up a fair here in which all sorts of vanity should be sold and that it should last all the year long. Therefore all kinds of merchandise are sold at this fair, such as houses, lands, trades, places, honours, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, such as harlots, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and what not. Moreover, at this fair, are always to be seen juggling, cheats, games, plays, fools, fakes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind. Here are to be seen also, and without cost, thefts, murders, adulteries, and liars. As in other fairs of less significance, there are several rows and streets under their proper names where such and such wares are vended. So here likewise you have the proper places, namely countries and kingdoms, where the wares of this fair are soonest to be found. Here is the Britain row, the French row, the Italian row, the Spanish row, the German row, where several sorts of vanities are sold. But as in other fairs, some particular commodity is the chief of all the fair. So the wares of Rome and her merchandise are greatly promoted in this fair. Only our English nation, with some others, have taken a dislike thereat. Now, as I said, the way to the Celestial City lies directly through this town where this lusty fair is kept. He who will go to the Celestial City and yet not go through this town must need to go out of the world. The King of Kings himself, when here, went through this town to his own country, and that upon a fair day as well. Yes, and it was Beelzebub, 
the chief lord of this fair, who invited him to buy of his vanities. Yes, he would have made him lord of the fair, would he have but bowed down to Beelzebub. Yes, because he was a person of such honour, Beelzebub took him from street to street and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a short time, that he might, if possible, allure the blessed one to yield and buy some of his vanities. But he had no desire for this merchandise, and therefore left the town without spending so much as one penny upon these vanities. This fair, therefore, is of ancient standing, and very renowned. Now these pilgrims, as I said, had to go through this fair, and so they did. And behold, as they entered the fair, all the people in the fair were perplexed, and the town itself was in a hubbub, and that for several reasons. First, the pilgrims were clothed differently from any who traded in that fair. The people of the fair therefore stared at them. Some said they were fools, some said that they were deranged, and some said that they were eccentric men. Secondly, just as they wondered at their apparel, so they likewise were bewildered at their speech, for few could understand what they said. The pilgrims naturally spoke the language of Canaan, but those who kept the fair were men of this world, so that from one end of the fair to the other they seemed to be barbarians to each other. Thirdly, that which greatly disturbed the peddlers was that these pilgrims did not value their wares. They did not desire so much as to look upon them. If the pilgrims were called upon to buy their merchandise, they would put their fingers in their ears and cry, Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity, and look upwards, signifying that their desires and concerns were in heaven. Beholding the behaviour of the two men, one mockingly asked them, What then will you buy? But they, looking solemnly upon him, answered, We buy the truth. At that, the men of the fair took occasion to despise the pilgrims all the more, some mocking, some taunting, some speaking reproachfully, and some calling upon others to smite them. At last things came to a hubbub and a great stir in the fair, insomuch that everything was in disorder. So word was soon brought to the lord of the fair, who quickly came down and delegated some of his most trusty friends to take these pilgrims, who had so disturbed the fair, into custody. So the pilgrims were brought to examination, and those who interrogated them asked them from whence they came, and where they were going, and why they were dressed in such unusual garb. The two men explained that they were pilgrims and strangers in the world, and that they were going to their own country, which was the heavenly Jerusalem. They stated that they had given no reason to the men of the town nor to the peddlers thus to abuse them or hinder them in their journey, unless it was when one asked them what they would buy, and they said that they would buy the truth. But those who were appointed to examine the pilgrims did not believe them to be anything other than deranged and mad, or else that they had only come to cause trouble at the fair. Therefore they took them and beat them, and besmeared them with dirt, and put them into a cage, that they might be made a spectacle to all the men of the fair. Therefore the pilgrims lay in the cage for some time, and were made the objects of every man's ridicule or malice, the lord of the fair laughing at all that befell them. But the pilgrims, being patient, and not answering insult for insult, but rather a blessing, and returning good words for reproaches, and kindness for injuries done, some men in the fair, who were more discerning and less prejudiced than the rest, began to restrain and blame the examiners for their continual abuses to the pilgrims. They therefore, in angry manner, 
railed at those who defended the pilgrims, counting them as bad as the men in the cage. They accused them of being traitors and said that they should be made partakers of the pilgrims' punishments. Those who defended the pilgrims replied that for anything they could see, the pilgrims were quiet and sober-minded and intended nobody any harm. They also said that there were many who traded in their fare who were more suitable to be put into the cage, yes, and the stocks also, than were the men that they had abused. Thus, after various arguments had passed on both sides, the pilgrims, all the while behaving themselves very wisely and soberly before them, the men fell to fighting among themselves and harming one another. Then these two poor pilgrims were brought before their examiners again, and charged with being guilty of the hubbub that had been in the fair. So they beat them mercilessly, put them in chains, and led them up and down the fair for an example and a terror to others, lest they should speak on their behalf or join themselves unto them. But Christian and faithful behaved still more wisely. They received the disgrace and shame which was cast upon them with so much meekness and patience that it won several of the men of the fair to their side. This put the persecuting party into yet a greater rage, insomuch that they sought the death of the two pilgrims. Therefore they threatened that neither the cage nor the chains were sufficient punishment, but they should die for the harm that they had done, and for deluding the men of the fair. Then the pilgrims were thrown into their cage again, until further action would be taken with them. So they put them in, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here they remembered what they'd heard from their faithful friend Evangelist, and were thence encouraged in their way and sufferings by what he told them would happen to them. They also comforted each other, that he whose lot it was to suffer would have the advantage. Therefore each man secretly wished that he might have the honour of suffering. With much contentment they committed themselves to the all-wise disposal of him who rules all things, unless they should be otherwise disposed of. Then, at an appointed time, they were brought forth to their trial, and hence to their condemnation. They were brought before their enemies to be arraigned. The judge's name was Lord Hategood. Their indictment was one and the same in substance, though somewhat varying in form, the contents whereof were this, that they were enemies to and disturbers of the trade of the city, that they had made disruptions and divisions in the town, and had won some over to their most dangerous opinions in contempt of the law of their prince. Then Faithful responded, I have only set myself against that which has set itself against him who is higher than the highest. And as for any disturbance, I made none, being myself a man of peace. Those who were won over to our sentiments were won by beholding our truth and innocence. They have only turned from the worse to the better. And as to the king you talk of, since he is Beelzebub, the enemy of our Lord, I defy him and all his minions. Then a proclamation was made, that those who had anything to say for their lord the king against the prisoner at the bar should now appear and present their evidence. So three witnesses came in, namely Envy, superstition, and pick-thank. They were then asked if they knew the prisoner at the bar and what they had to say for their lord the king against him. So Envy came forth and said, My lord, I have known this man a long time and will attest upon my oath before this honourable bench that he is... Lord Hategood interrupted, Wait, give him his oath.
So they swore him in, and envy continued. My lord, this man, notwithstanding his plausible name, is one of the vilest men in our country. He neither regards prince, nor people, law, nor custom, but does all that he can to influence others with certain of his disloyal notions, which he calls principles of faith and holiness. And in particular, I myself heard him once affirm that Christianity and the customs of our town of vanity were diametrically opposite and could not be reconciled. By saying this, my lord, he at once condemns both all our laudable doings and us in the doing of them. Then the judge, Lord Hategood, said to him, "'Have you any more to say?' "'Envy. "'My lord, I could say much more, "'but this would be tedious to the court. "'Yet, if need be, "'when the other gentlemen have given forth their evidence, "'if anything should be lacking "'which would condemn faithful, "'I will then enlarge my testimony against him.' "'So Envy was told to stand by. "'Then they called Superstition.' and asked him what he could say for their lord the king against faithful. Then they swore him in, and so he began. Superstition My lord, I have no great acquaintance with this man, nor do I desire to have any further knowledge of him. However, this I know from a discourse which I had with him the other day, and he is a very pestilent fellow. He said that our religion was worthless, and could by no means please God, and therefore we worship in vain, and are yet in our sins, and shall finally be damned. Then Pickthank was sworn in, and ordered to say what he knew on behalf of their lord the king against the prisoner at the bar. Pickthank, My lord, and all you gentlemen, I have known this fellow for a long time, and have heard him speak of things that ought not to be spoken. He has railed against our noble Prince Beelzebub, and has spoken contemptibly of his honourable friends, Lord Old Man, Lord Carnal Delight, Lord Luxurious, Lord Desire of Vain Glory, Old Lord Lechery, Sir Having Greedy, along with all the rest of our nobility. He has said, moreover, that if all men were of his mind, that these noblemen would all be run out of town. He's also not been afraid to rail at you, my lord, who is now appointed to be his judge, calling you an ungodly villain, along with many other such vilifying terms, with which he has bespattered most of the aristocracy of our town. When Pickthank had told his tale, the judge directed his speech to the prisoner at the bar, saying, You renegade! heretic and traitor. Have you heard what these honest gentlemen have witnessed against you? Faithful. May I speak a few words in my own defence? Lord Hategood. You scoundrel! You do not deserve to live, but to be slain immediately, right where you are standing. Yet, so that all men may see our gentleness towards you, let us hear what you vile rebel have to say faithful. First, I say in answer to what Mr. Envy has spoken, that I never said anything but this, that whatever rules or laws or customs or people which are contrary to the word of God are diametrically opposite to Christianity. If I have said anything amiss in this, then convince me of my error, or I'll make recantation before you. Secondly, to answer Mr. Superstition and his charge against me, I said only this, that a divine faith is required in the worship of God, and there could be no divine faith without a divine revelation of the will of God. Therefore, whatever is thrust into the worship of God which does not agree with divine revelation is nothing but man's vain religion and will never lead to eternal life. Thirdly, in answer to what Mr. Pickfank has charged, I did say that the prince of this town, with all his rabblement and attendance, 
are more fit for being in hell than in this town and country. And so may the Lord have mercy upon me. Then Judge Hategood called the jury, who all this while stood by to hear and observe. Gentlemen of the jury, you see this man about whom so great an uproar has been made in this town. You have also heard what these worthy gentlemen have witnessed against him, and have heard his reply and confession. It lies now in your power to either hang him or save his life. Yet I think it necessary to instruct you according to our law. There was an act made in the days of Pharaoh the Great, servant of our prince, that lest those of a contrary religion should multiply and grow too strong for him, their males should be thrown into the river. There was also an act made in the days of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, another of our prince's servants, that whoever would not fall down and worship his golden image should be thrown into a fiery furnace. There was also an act made in the days of Darius, that whoever called upon any god but him should be cast into the lion's den. Now this rebel here has broken the substance of all these laws, not only in thought, which is not to be tolerated, but also in word and deed, which is absolutely intolerable. For Pharaoh's law was made upon a supposition to prevent mischief, no crime being yet apparent. Yet here is an obvious crime. And as for the laws of Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, you plainly see that faithful openly disputes against our religion. For the treason which he has confessed, he deserves to die. Then the jury went out. Their names were Mr. Blind Man, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Love Lust, Mr. Live Loose, Mr. Heady, Mr. High Mind, Mr. Enmity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, Mr. Hate Light, and Mr. Implacable. Each of the jury gave their verdict against Faithful, and unanimously concluded to charge him as guilty before Lord Hategood. First, Mr. Blind Man, the foreman, exclaimed, I see clearly that this man is a heretic. Then Mr. Nogood added, Away with such a fellow from the earth. Absolutely, said Mr. Malice, for I hate the very looks of him. Then Mr. Lovelust remarked, I could never stomach him. Neither could I, added Mr. Liveloose, for he'd always be condemning my way. Hang him! Hang him! Mr. Heady demanded. He is a sorry, base fellow exclaimed Mr. Highmind. My heart revolts against him, snivelled Mr. Enmity. He's a rogue, Mr. Liar declared. Hanging is too good for him, snarled Mr. Cruelty. Let's dispatch him out of the way, snapped Mr. Hate Light. Then Mr. Implacable exclaimed, I would not be reconciled to him for all the world. Therefore, let us immediately charge him to be deserving of death. And so they did. Therefore Faithful was condemned at once. He was taken from the court and back to his cage. And from there he was to be put to the most cruel death that could be invented. Then they brought him out to punish him according to their law. First, they scourged him, then they buffeted him, then they lanced his flesh with knives. After that they stoned him with stones, then pierced him with their swords. Last of all, they burned him to ashes at the stake. Thus Faithful came to his end. Now I saw that behind the multitude there was a chariot, with horses waiting for Faithful, who, as soon as his adversaries had murdered him, were taken up into it. He was immediately carried up through the clouds with the sound of the trumpet 
to the nearest way to the celestial gate. But as for Christian, he had some reprieve, and was sent back to the prison, and remained there for a time. Then he who overrules all things, having power over the rage of his enemies in his own hand, so brought it about that Christian escaped from them, and went on his way. As he went, he sang, Well, faithful, you have faithfully professed unto your Lord, with whom ye shall be blessed. When faithless ones, with all their vain delights, are crying out under their hellish plights, sing, faithful, sing, and let your name survive. For though they killed you, you are yet alive. Now I saw in my dream that Christian did not journey alone, for there was one named Hopeful, being made so by beholding Christian and faithful in their words, behaviours, and sufferings at the fair, who joined with him. Entering into a brotherly covenant, Hopeful told Christian that he would be his companion. He also told Christian that there were many more from Vanity Fair who would be following after them. Thus, one died to bear testimony to the truth, while another rises out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. listening to a special edition of Night Light, in which I'm playing three chapters from the beginning, middle and end of a new audiobook, which will be available very soon, of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Nightlight. You're listening to an international edition of Nightlight, shining God's love light to the world. We're going to listen now to the last chapter in which Christian finally makes it to the celestial city. This is after an incredible journey with all kinds of adventures, obstacles and temptations. It is, of course, an allegory of our journey through life. First of all, to salvation and then the path of following Jesus on the straight and narrow way. But first, here's one more song, one of my favorites from Vas Myers about his own life's journey through this world to the city of the king. I'm just a poor boy with an old beat-up guitar Money in my pocket wouldn't take me very far Here you are in rags of riches Pockets full of broken wishes How can I but try to put some heaven in your heart?
river on the other side, they saw two shining men again who were waiting for them. Therefore, having come out of the river, the shining men greeted them, saying, We are ministering spirits sent forth to serve those who are heirs of salvation. Thus, they went along together towards the gate. Now that city stood upon a mighty hill, But the pilgrims went up that hill with ease, because they had these two shining men to lead them up by their hands. Also, they left their mortal garments behind them in the river, for though they went in with them, they came out without them. They therefore went up towards the city with much agility and speed, though the foundation upon which the city was framed was higher than the clouds. They went up through the regions of the air, sweetly talking as they went, being comforted because they'd safely gotten over the river and had such glorious companions to attend them. The conversation they had with the Shining Ones was about the splendor of that place. They told the pilgrims that the beauty and glory of it was inexpressible. There, said they, is Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, and the spirits of just men made perfect. You're now going to the paradise of God, where you shall see the tree of life and eat of its never-fading fruits. When you arrive there, you shall have white robes given to you, and you shall walk and talk with the king every day, even through all the days of eternity." There you shall never again see such things as you saw when you were in the lower region of earth, namely sorrow, sickness, affliction, and death, for the former things have passed away. You're now going to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to the prophets, men whom God has taken away from the evil to come, and who are now at rest, each one walking in his righteousness." The pilgrims then asked, What will we do in the holy city? The shining ones answered, You will there receive the comforts of all your toil and have joy for all your sorrow. You will reap what you have sown 
even the fruit of all your prayers and tears and sufferings for the king along the way. In that place you will wear crowns of gold and enjoy the perpetual sight and vision of the Holy One, for there you shall see him as he is. You shall also serve him, whom you desired to serve while in the world, though with much difficulty because of the infirmity of your flesh. There you shall continually worship him with praise and shouting and thanksgiving. There your eyes will be delighted with seeing him and your ears with hearing the pleasant voice of the Mighty One. There you shall enjoy your friends again who've gone there before you and you shall joyfully receive everyone who follows you into that holy place. There also you shall be clothed with glory and majesty, fit to accompany the King of glory, when he shall come with trumpet sound in the clouds, as upon the wings of the wind you shall come with him. And when he shall sit on the throne of judgment, you shall sit with him, yes, and when he shall pass sentence upon all the workers of iniquity, whether they are angels or men, you also shall have a voice in that judgment, because they were both his and your enemies, and so you will be with the Lord forever. Now, while they were thus drawing towards the gate, behold, a company of the heavenly hosts came out to meet them. The two shining ones exclaimed, These are the men who have loved our Lord while they were in the world, and who have left all for his holy name. He sent us to fetch them, and we brought them thus far on their desired journey, that they may go in and look upon their Redeemer's face with joy. Then the heavenly hosts gave a great shout, saying, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. At this time, several of the king's trumpeters came out to meet them. They were arrayed in shining white clothing, and with loud and melodious voices, they made even the heavens to echo with their sound. These trumpeters greeted Christian and Hopeful with ten thousand welcomes. This done, they surrounded the pilgrims so as to guard them through the upper regions, continually singing with melodious voices as they went, as if heaven itself had come down to meet them. Thus, therefore, they walked on together. As they walked, these trumpeters with joyful sound would always, by mixing their music with pleasant looks and gestures, signify to Christian and hopeful how welcome they were in their company, and with what gladness they came to receive them. Now Christian and hopeful were as if in heaven before they came there, being swallowed up with the sight of angels and with the hearing of their melodious voices. Here also they had the city fully in view, and they thought that they heard all the city bells ringing to welcome them in. But above all, they were encouraged by the warm and joyful thoughts of their own dwelling there, with such company, and that for ever and ever. Oh, what tongue or pen could express their glorious joy! And thus they came up to the gate. Now, there was written over the gate in letters of gold, Blessed are those who obey his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. Then I saw in my dream that the shining men bid them to call at the gate, and when they did, some looked over the gate, namely Enoch, Moses, Elijah, and others, to whom it was told, These pilgrims have come from the city of destruction for the love that they bear to the king of this place. Then each pilgrim handed in their certificate, which they had received in the beginning of their journey. These certificates 
were carried to the king, who, when he had read them, said, Where are the men? To whom it was answered, They're standing outside the gate. The king then commanded, Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter in. Now I saw in my dream that these two men went in at the gate. And behold, as they entered, they were transfigured, and they were arrayed with clothing which shone like gold. Some met them with harps and crowns which were given to the pilgrims. The harps were given for worship, and the crowns were given as a token of honour. Then I heard in my dream that all the bells in the city rang again for joy, and that it was said to the pilgrims, Enter into the joy of your Lord. I also heard Christian and Hopeful themselves singing with a loud voice, saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. Now just as the gates were opened to let the men in, I looked in after them, and behold, the city shone like the sun. The streets also were paved with gold, and on them walked many men with crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises with. There were also some angelic beings with wings, and they sang back and forth without intermission, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. After that, they closed up the gates. When I had seen all of this, I wished that I myself was among them. Now, while I was gazing upon all these things, I turned my head to look back and saw ignorance come up to the riverside. He soon got over the river, and without half of the difficulty which Christian and Hopeful met with. For it happened that one called Vain Hope, a ferryman, was there, and with his boat he helped Ignorance cross the river. Then I saw that Ignorance ascended the hill and came up to the gate all alone. There was no man to meet him with the least encouragement. When he arrived at the gate, he looked up to the writing that was above it, and then began to knock, supposing that entrance would quickly be given to him. But he was asked by the men who looked over the top of the gate, Where have you come from? What do you want? He answered them, I have eaten and drank in the presence of the king, and he has taught in our streets. They then asked him for his certificate, that they might go in and show it to the king. So he fumbled in his bosom for one, but found none. Then they asked, Have you no certificate? But the man answered, Not a word. So they told the king about ignorance, but he would not go down to see him. Instead, he commanded the two shining ones who had conducted Christian and Hopeful to the city to go out and take ignorance, bind him hand and foot, and cast him away. So they took Ignorance up and carried him through the air to the door which I had seen in the side of the hill and threw him in there. Then I saw that there was a way to hell even from the very gates of heaven as well as from the city of destruction. So I awoke, and behold, it was a dream. <laughs>